Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Titus chapter 2. Thank you, uh, musicians, tonight. We, um, Titus chapter 2. I, I'm going to cut that a little bit short. We had another song, but I just feel like I want to get into the Word of God tonight. Titus chapter 2. And um, I felt my voice starting to fail, and I want to save it for this. So Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. You say sometimes maybe somebody is wondering what happens when uh, we come to a service in the morning like this morning and um, we didn't do anything that we planned to do. Um, everything was just kind of led of the Lord. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, a little girl came up and said, I got saved, Pastor. And uh, Allie Slater caught me. She'd come looking for me and found me. And I says, Pastor, I got saved. And I'm telling you, that turned my heart upside down. And uh, we were going to sing about Calvary and, and salvation this morning, and it didn't matter what Rob texted me, and he says, I, I turned my order of service into a paper air, airplane this morning, and he says, because it has about the same value, but praise the Lord for a salvation of a soul, and uh, it's just it's so exciting, and I think that's why I'm losing my voice, because I'm crying and singing at the same time, that's what does it, but Titus chapter 2 tonight, and I, I encourage folks to come back, and I believe the Lord has a message for us, and, and uh, you know, you know I, I'm so thankful that you're here, and, and uh, I, I'll be honest, when service started, I was a little discouraged, I thought, man, I, hope, I was wishing there was more people here. And uh, I know Sunday nights are really becoming a difficult battle. And uh, I want you to know this, that of the kind of churches that I fellowship with, other churches, most of them aren't even having Sunday nights anymore. They can't get people to come back. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a battle. So thank you for being here. And a lot of those churches, they're doing a morning service and they're having a lunch together. Then they're having another service right away. It's the only way to keep people in church. And, and the Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so much the more as you see the day approaching. And one of those purposes in Hebrews 10.25 is that we might exhort one another. That we might exhort one another. And I, w- I would encourage you, and um, we've, been, we've been doing on Sunday mornings, uh, if you've noticed, we've been a little more scripture reading and a little bit more, uh, we speak a little bit while we do the scripture reading. We'll, we'll, we're calling that exhortation. And uh, Brother Calvin's been doing a great job every week, just reading his scripture and exhorting us a little bit along the lines of what the service theme is. Uh, Brother Tony got up tonight, that was exhortation. And that's what we need. We're commanded in the Bible to exhort one another. And so next Sunday night, when you go to your uh, connection group, let me say this, use that opportunity to exhort one another. Encourage one another, build up one another, help one another. That's what Christian fellowship is for. That we might bear one another's burdens. You might, you might need to pull somebody aside and say, let me pray with you. But, but use that time to exhort one another. If, if, we're, if our fellowship is all about fun and food, we have missed the point. Our fellowship is to build one another up spiritually, to encourage people. And, and so that's, that's really my heart about this night, is that we would invite folks that maybe aren't clicked in. They're not connected. Uh, because when they come to something like that, I'll tell you what, you get to know them a whole lot better. And um, it, w- it was such a blessing at the last uh, activity I went to uh, that Brother Bukis and Lucille uh, came to that. And, uh, boy, it was good to get to know you folks. And we learned about your family. And we had a good time, didn't we? And uh, if you get to know them, they smile all the time. That's not fake. They just always smile. And so it's, it's a good thing. But I, I don't know that I'd get to know them as well if they didn't come and we get connected. 
And so and we can encourage one another. It's a blessing. So let me encourage you to do that and be a part of that. But tonight, I want to I preach a message tonight the Lord has laid upon my heart and, and has been something that's been going on in my heart for the last couple of years. I'm very concerned about our future and about our next generation. So the title of my message tonight is just simply called Invest. Investing in our future, investing in our young people, investing in others. Sometimes it's not just young people, it's other people that we need to invest in. Next Sunday night's an opportunity to invest in people. And the Lord has allowed that to open up some doors for us. And uh, just that burden he's put on my heart. We went down to the Northeast Vision Summit here in July and never, never expecting anything of that. But when we, uh, I shared a little bit about this already, when we got in the door, Brother uh, Clark said to us, do you have your whole group here? Can you sing? The ensemble group. And we didn't have everybody, but we had enough of us. And we had, Cindy and I were there. We could fill in some parts. And, and so we were able to sing. But when we got up on the platform, uh, Brother Charlie said, Brother Fury, give us a testimony about the needs of Canada. And it was just three minutes. I didn't know how much time I have. I just shared a few paragraphs and, and shared my heart that we are desperate for Christian leaders in Canada. We need servants. We need people that will teach Sunday schools and work in nurseries and work in buses and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I just I couldn't believe that God had put a burden in my heart and the Lord just opened that door. I never asked for it, but I was able to share. And uh, there was a, a young couple there that during the lockdown, they had been certain praying about Canada. And they said, well, let's watch some churches in Canada. And they said, it was your church we were watching. And when you walked on the platform, the, the, the gentleman's wife said, oh, no. And then when Brother Charlie asked you to speak about Canada, she went, oh, no. She says, I knew that God was confirming his call to my husband's life. His name is Jake Trepanier, and you might pray for him. He lives in Vermont, and he's praying about making a move to Canada and, and helping in a church or starting a church or doing whatever God wants him to do. And uh, just texted me a, a week or so ago and said, hey, the borders are open. He said, I want to plan a trip up and spend a couple weeks with you folks and get to know Canada and, and continue to pursue this thing that God has put on my heart. We need that. God has opened the door that, that in a few weeks I'll be going to uh, California to preach to the college students there. And God has put a message on my heart for them about Canada, about surrendering to the call of God and, and the need for laborers in this place. So I'm, I'm saying that, that I might ask you to pray for that specific chapel service, that, that we would see more laborers. And you say, well, we need Canadians. We need anybody we can get. And, and listen, understand this. In the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as Americans, Canadians, Filipinos, or anything else. We are just simply children of God of a heavenly kingdom that God has prepared for us. And, and when you get to heaven, it's not going to matter if, if an American led you to the Lord or somebody else led you to the Lord. All that matters is that you were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's, uh, you know, we, we, we have to get to the point where we're desperate about this thing. And let me say this. If you're tired of Americans coming to Canada, do something about it. Surrender your life and say, I'll go. I'll go. Titus chapter 2 tonight. There's a concern for the next generation, but it takes investment. It takes us pouring our lives into somebody else. And before I read Titus chapter 2, let me just share some scriptures with you of the Bible giving us responsibility. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine hearts, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. God gave a responsibility to these Jewish parents back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they might engraft the word of God into their children that when they rise up in the morning when they go to bed at night and all throughout the day that they would just ooze the scriptures and the word of God and they would teach the words of God to their children let me say this before I read any other scripture so you can apply this to your life very personally tonight all these kids that come to Sunday school on the buses most of them do not have godly parents that will teach them anything so we must invest in them The fact that God has put them in these pews means that God has trusted us to teach them the word of God. Must encourage them. We have these young children, the Sparks family, or Starks family, sorry, from Delhi. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, so please don't. But the, the one girl, Savannah, she says, Mrs. Ashby gives me a scripture to memorize. She loves it. And she'll memorize that scripture and she'll go back for another. These kids want to be loved. They want to learn. And and for Savannah to be able to go talk to Mrs. Ashby and get another scripture, it it makes her day. And she comes and she tells me about that. Could you invest in somebody like that? We're to teach it to our children. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 132, verse 12, If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony, then I shall teach them uh, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony, then I shall teach them. And because of it, look what happens. Their children shall also sit upon thy throne God's going to elevate the people that know the word of God. Psalm 22, verse 6, you know this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Matthew 28 is the great commission, and listen to what it says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We are to invest in others, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Men, let me say this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, We are to commit the word to faithful men, that they may teach others also. Don't you ever say, Oh, teaching the children, that's for women. I'm thankful for our ladies that take our Sunday school class, but where are the men? We need men that will teach these children as well. I wonder how many of these children could use a man to sit with them in Sunday school and invest in their life and teach them how to be a man, how to work, how to pray. There's a biblical duty to teach the next generation the truths of God. But along with this important task of teaching others, there comes an important undergirding truth. I want you to see this in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, the apostle Paul is speaking to Titus, who he had left in Crete. Crete was a tough place. Men, have your wives ever call you a Cretan? 
Well, it comes from this right here. Cretans, or the people of Crete, were barbarians. Maybe if you were to pick up something off your plate and eat it with your hands, your wife would say you're a Cretan. Because they were barbarians, they were rude in behavior. But yet Paul had a, a time there and started a bunch of churches and he sent Titus back and he sent him to organize the churches and to put into place deacons and pastors and elders and the such. And, and that was his job. And so in Titus chapter 2, he gives them some things that he said will help them to live the Christian life. And here's some things you need to teach these people on the island of Crete. And he says in verse 2, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Now, uh, we may not like what this says, but we have to sometimes come to a, an honest evaluation of ourselves and admit some things. Maybe there's some here tonight say, I'm an aged man. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but there comes a point in our lives where we have to say, listen, uh, there's a generation below me. All of a sudden, just two months ago, I jumped an entire generation. It doesn't take long. I'm 50 years old, and there's a lot of people, I, I can't believe when, when we're home and Josh, and, and we'll do something, and says, you guys are just old. Just old. Because I don't think of myself that way. But with an honest evaluation, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, there, there comes a point in our life where we are teaching others. And we are to invest in others, and we are the aged ones of this congregation. So he says that the aged men may be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And men, you might admit you're aged, but the women never will. But it says in verse 3, the aged women likewise. Ladies, let me say this. If you don't like the idea that it says aged women, let me put it this way. The Bible says you have something to offer. You have something to invest you have something that you can give to the next generation. And it's important that we acknowledge that and we understand that because you've been given a responsibility. Listen to this. When, when you become a parent, ready or not, you're responsible for that little child. Ready or not. In the house of God, we need to take that responsibility. And say, I'm going to invest in the next generation. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, let there be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Men, would you like me to read obedient to their own husbands again? I just did. You're welcome. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyselves a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, you burned my heart about a message tonight and I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just simply be a sermon or an outline, but it'd be a message from God. 
I pray that you challenge us, that you would speak to our hearts. Father, I surrender to thee and I ask for your Holy Spirit's power tonight. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I have broken down this passage, these 11 verses, into an outline just to help us digest what God is saying tonight. But I want you to understand, I don't, I don't believe this is a sermon. I believe it should be a message from God. I believe Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is a message from God. And we've become very good at sermonizing and outlining the Bible and tucking it away into neat, tidy little uh, tidbits of truth. But friends, I want you to know that God has a message for us tonight. And I want you to notice that, as I said before, in this important task of investing in the next generation, there are some undergirding principles and truths that we must get if we are going to be effective teachers of the next Number one, I want to give you this. In the first three verses, I see that we have to have something to purpose. Something to purpose. Do you have a purpose in your life? Have you made things a purpose in your life? The Bible said this, for example, God is not willing that any should perish. And when God said that, he made it a purpose in his life that he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins. When God purposes something, and by the way, he said, well, I don't have time for church. God said, not forsaking the assembling yourselves together. And God said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Don't make God a liar. If God has purposed it in your life, he will make time for it. But we need to make certain purposes in our life. And and let me see what we need to purpose in our life. Number one is sound doctrine. Look what it says in verse one. But speak thou the things which becometh sound doctrine. Now you have to understand that he is speaking to Titus. Titus is the teacher. He is the one that is going to go throughout the island of Crete and he's going to teach the, the, uh, the aged men to teach the younger men. And he's going to teach the aged women to teach the younger women. He's going to teach servants certain things. But God is speaking to Titus in this verse, and he says, In order for you to be a good teacher, you have to speak the things which become sound doctrine. In other words, he says, you got to know what you're talking about. You have to learn some things. You have to learn some doctrine. I struggle with somebody who says, Pastor, I want to teach. Well, do you go to Sunday school? You don't go to Sunday school, and you want to teach? Are you faithful in church? Well, you know, I, I, I come to one service a week or I come to every second Sunday. You know, I work shifts. I, I, I'm there two services a month. Do you know, on average, the lowest month, we have 12 services in a month. Eight on Sundays and four on Wednesdays. Most, most we have 13 or 14 or 15 because there's five Sundays or there's five Wednesdays. There's four months with five Wednesdays, and there's four months with five Sundays. And and so we have most, we have 12, 13, 14, 15 services a month. So I come to two, yet I want to teach others. But speak thou the things which become, you need to learn first. This morning, I guess there was a visitor in church. I never got to meet him, and I don't think he'll ever be back. But he met with Pastor Paul and Rob in the hallway, and Brother Paul, I guess, was trying to share the gospel a little bit with him. He says, don't preach at me. I I know more than you. I haven't gone to church in 55 years. I'm waiting for the church to catch up with me. He said, I've been learning everything about the Bible there is to learn on the Internet the last five years. That's not sound doctrine, friends. Doctrine doesn't come from the Internet. It comes from the Holy Word of God. And so we must know the Bible. 
If we are going to have an impact on the next generation, we must know sound doctrine. You are not a teacher if you are not first a student. So we, we see, first of all, we must have sound doctrine. Number two, you have to have a sweet disposition. Notice what the scripture says in verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patient. The aged women likewise. And on and on it goes. But notice that phrase right there. Sound in faith, in charity, in patience. If we're going to invest in the next generation, we're going to love them. That's what charity is. We have to be patient with them. Sometimes I, I honestly, I, I, I've become an old curmudgeon. Is that the word? Because I'll see the young people and go, these crazy young people. And I hear my dad's voice or my grandpa's voice coming out of my mouth, you know. What's with this generation? But then I realize they're our future. And they need us to love them. They need us to be patient with them. And if we look at the big picture, we have to go and say, well, a lot of them don't have dads. They've never been taught. Everybody loves them. The reason they're here on a Sunday morning is because mom and dad don't want to get up and make them breakfast, so they stick them on a bus and say, go and give us some quiet time. They don't want anything to do with them. And so they send them to us. We need to be sound in faith, but in charity and in patience. I remember in Bible college one time, Dr. Haru, I don't know if anybody knows that name or not. Dr. Eli Haru was 100 years old when I knew him, but he lived another 20 years after that. I don't know how he did it. He was, he was this old, old white hair. I mean, when you think of wisdom, you think of the white hair, his was pure white. And I, I remember that we were in class one day, and one guy was kind of cutting up, and he was fooling around, and he was distracting a little bit. And finally, Brother Haru says, young man, he had this wobble in his voice. He says, you can leave my class. And he says, you can see me in my office at the end of the day. And the young man got up, and he gathered his books, and out he went. And as soon as the door closed, Brother Haru went, smiled at everybody, and goes, he's going to make a great youth pastor. Love and patience. Think of what the generation above you put up with. Think of all your warts and wrinkles. <laughs> I was, <laughs> Paul, I'm going to throw you under the bus. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why this popped in my head. A while ago, Pastor Paul was driving a Master Club's bus, and I, I, I was going around just seeing the buses, getting kids on the buses. This was last year, and uh, he says, Pat, he had this white, his face was white. He says, Pastor. He says, I, I had to stop a couple kids back there from necking. I said, yeah. They, they were necking. They're 16 years old and they were kissing on the, and I said, yeah. He said, but Pastor. I said, what were you doing when you were 16? He goes, oh, don't go there, Pastor. Don't go there. <laughs> it puts it in perspective. When you think about what you might have been like and how patient and loving people were with you. I'm not endorsing those kids necking on the back of the bus, but they're unsaved kids who have never been taught about abstinence or anything else. And they just do what's natural to them. We just love them. Let me tell you, Pastor Paul loves those kids more than anybody I know, so I'm not... I'm not 
messing with that. I know he loves them. It just caught him off guard. But in charity. Sound doctrine. A sweet disposition. But also a sober deportment. Notice what it says to be sober, grave, temperate. Ladies, holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Let me put it this way. You need to be the real deal. Kids can smell a phony. You need to be real. And and you can have fun and you can laugh and you can joke. But when, when things get serious, they need to know you're serious. When you're trying to help them and encourage them, uh, you cannot be a hypocrite. You need to be sober and grave and temperate. That's self-control. Holy. Not false security. Nobody wants to hang around with the gossip. I was with some preachers one time, and we were having lunch, and it was Pastor Greg Baker. You know, that was a long time ago then. And one of the preachers was, was cutting up and saying some things about some other preachers. And Brother Baker looked at him and says, I'm so glad that I get to have lunch with you. He said, oh, that's very nice. He goes, yeah, because I know when I'm sitting here, you're not talking about me. Nobody wants to hang around with a gossip, a false accuser. We need to have a sober deportment. We need to be the real deal. So we need to purpose these things in our lives. Sound doctrine, a sweet disposition, and sober deportment, seriousness. But number two, notice what we see in verse four to six. I see something to pass on. First, we need to have something to purpose in our lives, but we also have to have something to pass on. Look what he says in verse four, that they may teach the younger women to be sober. He's he's talking about the aged women in verse three. That they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. A lot of those things that we read in verse 4 and verse 5 were once societal norms. And it's taken a beating today. I'm not here to tell you that a woman should not work or have a career or anything, but I'm saying that God has an order for our lives. And we are far better off when we follow that order. My wife's pastor would not marry us unless the vow said she would obey. It didn't taste very good coming out of her mouth. But her pastor says, no, that's what the Bible says. Obedient to your husband. And Titus is told to teach the older women that they might teach the younger women to be obedient to their husband, to be keepers of the home. And in Proverbs 31, we see that a, a, a Proverbs 31 woman is one who is industrious with her hands and takes care of her family and, and, and uh, takes care of the home. And so we need to have something to, to pass on. Verse 3 ends with teachers of good things. And, and though these are not always the societal norms, I want you to say this today, that there are still things that we can learn from this passage, especially, uh, look what it says in verse 4. Number one, we can educate soundly. Educate soundly. That they may teach the young women. That they, they are teachers of good things. That we are to take the time to Teach, that word teach simply means what you think it means, to pass on truth. It's important. Do you know what amazes me? When I go into Walmart and I see these Mennonite families, and those little girls are dressed just like their grandma was when she was a little girl. And she was dressed just like her grandma was when she was a little girl. 
Now you say, well, they're in bondage. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying they have taught each generation something. And they've passed on. If they can pass those things on, and a lot of those Mennonite groups are lost people based on works, can we pass the faith on? Can we teach our children to love Jesus? Can we educate them soundly? Notice, secondly, in verse 5, I see edify spiritually. We're to educate them soundly, but we're to edify them spiritually. Edify means to give moral or spiritual understanding of a matter. So notice what it says in verse 5. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's a reason that we educate, but we must give them the reason that we might honor God. That we're not disgracing the word of God. That we're not blaspheming the word of God. There's a certain reason we put off the old man and we put on the new. There's a reason that we crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. There's a reason I'm crucified with Christ. There's a reason I will not take of certain things that the world takes off. And it might be okay for you, but it's not okay for me. I want to edify other people spiritually. I want to build them up. And can I say this about what I've learned about millennials? I'm not a millennial. Thank God. But here's what I know I've learned from millennials. They want to know why. It used to be that you get up and preach, don't do this and don't do that, and everybody would say, okay, preacher said I'm not going to the movies, and I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to do They want to have a Bible reason now. That's what edification means, to give them a moral or a spiritual reason and build them up in the Word of God. Edify them. And we ought to be doing that anyway. We ought to give the reason from the Word. If you don't have a reason from the Word of God, it's a preference and not a conviction. It's not of God, it's of man. And so let's edify spiritually. So we educate soundly, we edify spiritually that the Word of God be not blasphemed, but then we need to exhort seriousness. Look at verse 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Notice all the things that the young ladies are supposed to learn. He says, I want the ladies to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. You know what he's saying? Ladies, you can handle more than one thing at a time, so I'm going to teach you this, 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 and this. Here's what he's saying to young men. Young men, grow up. Grow up. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put away childish things. My wife and I were just talking just last night, I guess, with the Wound family. And we cannot understand how a lady with children at home puts up with a husband and goes off to his buddy's house and plays video games all night. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Or spends three nights a week with his buddies when he's got a wife at home with the kids trying to get them to bed and get them ready for school and doing the homework. Young men, be sober-minded. Grow up. We need men. We need men. So something to pass on. Exhort seriousness. This is not just sobriety, like he said to the men earlier. The older men are to be sober. The aged women are not to be given to much wine. This is about a seriousness of the mind. 
that says, I have a real responsibility and I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to be a man. So either you see there's something to purpose in this passage, there's something to pass on, but thirdly, I see something to pattern. Somebody said that we, the more things that we know are caught rather than taught. Notice what he says in verse 7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. There is something to pattern. Notice he says, showing thyself. Listen, listen, listen. In verse 1, he's talking to Titus. He says, you need to have sound doctrine. Verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, he's saying, here's what you need to teach others, that they may teach others. Teach the aged men, the aged women, that they may teach the younger men and the younger women. But now he's shifting back to Titus. Notice what he says. I want you to teach the old men, the young men, older women, younger women. But he says in verse 7, in all things showing thyself a pattern. Why is that? Because you can't teach anybody anything if you're not living it yourself. Practice what you preach. You say, well, you mean you never sin? No, no. We have all sinned to come short of the glory of God. I have sinned and I failed. But I also hope that when I've sinned, I fall on my face before a holy God and made it right with God. And he's restored me to a right relationship that I can go forward and help somebody else. It happens all the time. But we're talking about a habitual living in sin, or living for self, or living a part, a, a poor example of a life that you've not put away childish things. You're not providing for your family. So he says you need to pattern something in your life, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In order to pass on anything, we have to practice what we preach. And notice what he says in verse 7. First of all, you need to have a shining conduct. A pattern of good works. Good works. It says in Matthew, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. When people think of you, what do they think? We had a young couple here this morning that was visiting. They just kind of moved to Delhi. Just got married a month ago on October the 9th, they said. And she had been the church secretary at Garside Bible Church for years and years and years. Garside Bible Church is an associated gospel church, and it was just a few blocks from the Faith Baptist Church where we were. And we knew some people in that church, and they preached the gospel there. As a matter of fact, the Spong family had one time gone to that church. They went to Lake Gospel Church and Garside Bible Church. They were both, they were all, all the Spongs were associated gospel people years and years ago, and that's where they got saved. Just before he died, the last couple years of his life, that's where Kevin Spong was going to church at Garside Bible. He had known some people there from his childhood, and he, because Lake Gospel closed, and he ended up going there. So I said to the young lady, I said, did you know Kevin Spong? She says, yeah, he was a great guy. She says, our pastor was always so encouraged because he, he's the one that always went on visiting with him. He'd go to the hospital with me, go anywhere with him, and he was a real friend to our pastor. He says, our pastor really took it hard when he died. But she said he was a good man. What are you known as? 
Are you showing yourself a pattern of good? It doesn't say that you're perfect. And that's maybe the problem. Maybe you say, well, I'm just not perfect. I'm just not good enough to, to mentor somebody or to help somebody or to be an example to somebody. It doesn't say you have to be perfect. But there's a pattern of your life of doing good, of, of showing thyself a pattern of good works. So we see a shining conduct, but we also see you must have steadfast convictions. Notice what he says in the second part of verse 7, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. You say, well, I don't have all the Bible sorted out. Let me say this. Do you know what you believe and do you believe what you know? I, I, don't, I don't expect you to be able to, if somebody comes up to you, some young kid and says, can you explain to me the doctor of transubstantiation? I, I'm not saying that. But if they come to you and say, hey, did Jesus die? Yes, Jesus died. And he shed his blood. And he paid the price for your sins. Do you know the fundamentals of the faith? Can you tell somebody about Jesus? Can you show them the love of God? So have some steadfast convictions. Then we see third, sound communication. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. Do you know what gets us in trouble more than anything else? Our mouth. He says sound speech, which cannot be condemned. But I, I like what it says next. All these things are works our convictions, our speech, so that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. You even win your enemies over. People can't talk about you. You're not talking foolish. Years ago, there was a fellow, a doctor, that visited a local church. The pastor got up and preached and Shared the gospel, and he, Sam Davidson's the pastor. He's one of my favorite preachers. I love hearing Brother Sam preach. My wife, probably her favorite preacher, right next to me, right, hon? Amen. And uh, he's from Oklahoma, and just just incredible, godly man. Love his preaching. And he, he tells the story of this doctor who came to his church and sat there and listened week after week after week. He visited his home and shared the gospel with them, and and, and just continuously visit with him. And finally, one day, he's, I was just overwhelmed. And he says, I preached the gospel again. And some people came, and our, our, others were working with them. And they were getting saved. And he says, I walked right down to him, and I, put, I shook his hand. I said, he said his, by, called him by name. And he says, I believe God wants to save you. He said, let me tell you this, preacher. He said, I don't believe hardly a thing you say up there. And he said, then why do you keep coming back? He said, because I've never met a man of conviction like you before. And he says, I don't believe what you're saying, but he says, I know you believe it. And he says, I'm learning things that I've never learned before, whether I believe them or not. He says, a lot of my patients have faith and they pray. And he says, I don't understand it, so I came here to learn about that. He says, but I know you have convictions and I know you believe what you're saying. Does the next generation deserve that? To know that we believe what we say we believe. You know, there's so many today that are just blown around by every wind of doctrine. Why? So we can be blameless before others and your enemies have nothing negative to say about you. Show yourself a pattern 
But I want you to see, fourthly, tonight, I see something to proclaim. Here's something I never saw before. Verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He said, well, who are these servants? He's, he's talking about young men. He's talking about young women. He's talking about old men. He's talking about old women. Now he's talking about servants. I believe with all my heart he's talking about the very same people. You see, because the old men in the church on Monday morning, they went out and they were servants. They went to work. They worked for a master. And they served him. The women, they went home and they served Some of them went to the marketplace and sold their wares. Some of them baked bread and sold it to their neighbors. Whatever they had to do to survive, but they were servants. They served their children. They served their family. The young men would do the same. They would serve others, and the young women would serve others. And he says, I've got some things that they need to know about servanthood. So he says, there's something to proclaim here as well. First of all, we see external servanthood in verse 9. He says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. And friend, you too will soon leave this building. We spent a day today worshiping God and praising his name and hearing from the word of God. And we fellowship together. And some of you went out to eat together tonight you'll fellowship some more and we've enjoyed all of that but tomorrow morning you will open up your eyes and you'll get ready for work you'll get ready to serve is while I'm retired you might serve your husband or your wife but here's the thing tonight you're not serving in order to serve we will leave this place and go out into a lost and dying world So aged men, here's how you teach the young men in the church. Aged women, here's how you teach the young women in the church. Everybody, now you're going to go into the world and be a servant. This is your job. And notice what he says about that. Notice what he says about this servanthood. We are to exhort sacrifice. Verse 9. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Let me read both verses together. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Not answering, again, don't talk back. Your boss pays you $20 an hour. For that hour, you do what you're told. He asks you to do a job, you do it. Verse 10, not, what does purloining mean? The word purloin means to strive for personal gain. It is a term of embezzlement. It means tomorrow when you go to work, you're not in it for yourself. He says, well, I'm just here to draw a check. You're there for the wrong reason. He says, well, isn't that why we get a job, that we can feed our family? That's, that's, that's a purpose. That's one of the reasons. But he says, I don't want you to do that. If you're a servant of God, you're not to be purloining. You're not there for yourself. But you're there in all fidelity. That means have some character. Have some integrity. You're there to make your boss successful. 
You're there to serve him. He said, well, I, don't, I don't like that. I'm there to make as much money as I can. And when I punch the time clock, I don't want anything to do with that place anymore. And I want to spend time with my kids and my wife. And wonderful. I'm glad you get to do that. That's important. But understand what the apostle is saying. Notice what the last part is. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Let me put it this way. The Apostle Paul is saying to the servants in this room tonight, can your boss tell you're a Christian just by the way you work? Or are you purloining? Are you there for your own greed and your own benefit? Are you trying to get all you can out of that place? Or are you there to adorn the doctrine of God? Can they see Jesus? Years ago, my wife and I worked at a little grocery store. We first got married. We took a job at this little grocery store. We worked at the church and there as well. And it was called the Family Food Counter. There was a young Spanish boy that was there. Shortly after we were, I can't remember his name. Can you remember, hon? His last name was Reyes. It was the same as your mom's maiden name. And uh, this young man just had a disposition about him that was sweet-spirited, quiet, meek, and just, just something different about him. Marlene Massacre also worked there in the deli. And one day, Marlene was on her break, and this young man had been just left from his break in the break room. And I just was walking through and picking something up, and I said to Marlene, I said, oh, his name was Doug, Doug Reyes. I said, Marlene, do you think Doug's a Christian? So I've been wondering the same thing. There's just something different about him. You can see it all over him. We'd only worked with him a couple days at that point. He just started there. The butcher was a, also a Spanish man, and, and uh, he was a Christian. He was vocal about it. It was funny. You'd walk in the front door of that store, and you could hear him singing How Great Thou Art from way in the back room. He'd just bellow it out. He didn't care. It was wonderful. And we knew that he knew Doug's family, and he'd got him the job there. And I said, I said to the butcher, I said, hey, tell me this. Does Doug know the Lord? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, Doug knows the Lord. And so we were able to talk about the Lord with Doug and, and fellowship with him. Just a short time after that, I saw, we were talk, I was talking with Doug on a lunch break or something, and I said, tell me about your family. He said, well, my mom died. And he says, my dad, well, he went away. And that's all he said. And I kind of got the feeling, don't, don't meddle, don't ask. About a week later, I saw him reading a newspaper and it talked about a man that had killed his wife with a machete in the streets of Hamilton. Chased her down in a jealous rage and hacked her to death in the street while her children watched. And one of those children was Doug Reyes. His dad was on trial right then. And I thought, how is it that he can ooze Christ, yet his life has been torn apart and turned upside down? That is the very definition of adorning the doctrine of God. That's what he did. He adorned the doctrine of God. He was willing to sacrifice fame and fortune that he would have a good work ethic and integrity and good fidelity, as the Bible puts it, that he could adorn the doctrine of Christ. You say, why is all this important? Look at verse 11. 
for or because the grace of God hath appeared, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Because God wants everybody to be saved. We need to make this investment because God wants the whole world to be saved. He wants to see young men grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and become solid church members that go out and reach the lost for Christ. He wants young men to, to have a pattern, young women to have a pattern in their lives of godliness that they too might raise their children to love Jesus. But it causes us to invest. So we purpose in our lives according to God's word so that we can pass some things on and we might pattern our lives of godly living before others, that we might proclaim to a lost and dying world the gospel. And I'm going to close with this. That brought up four questions in my heart. Here's the four questions. I'm just going to give them to you. Number one, what are you modeling? What does your life show as a pattern? What are you modeling before others? If somebody were to come to the church and say, I want to be a godly man or a godly lady, that's the person I'm going to follow. Are they going to call your name? What are you modeling? Number two, who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? A mentor is one that makes a personal, intimate investment in others. Titus was to make a personal investment in the aged men and the aged women and they in turn were to invest in the younger ones. But it's personal and it's intimate. Who are you mentoring? It might be somebody older than you, but who are you helping along? Number three, who are you maturing? That's the words that we looked at, exhorting and edifying. Who are you building up? Who's the young man you're coming alongside and say, hey, let's, let's lay aside some childish things and let's, let's do some manly things. I'm not, I'm not against entertainment. I'm not against fun. But I'm against when it consumes our lives. You know what the word amuse means? To lay aside thinking. The word muse means to inspire. The word amuse means to lay aside our thinking. So we don't have to think. Have you ever gone home from a hard day and said, I just, I just want to turn on the TV and I just want to vegetate for a little while. That's what amuse means. I don't think it's always wrong, but I think we can make it a habit in our lives. So who are you maturing? Number four, who are you moving? Who looks up to you? Who are you moving? Heavenly Father, I spent more time than I was hoping to tonight, but Lord, I pray that the message was clear. Father, there's a generation following us that desperately needs Jesus. I wonder if there's some from this morning that might be here tonight if one of us would just simply say, hey, come, I'll sit with you. I'll go for a coffee after church with you. I'll invest a little bit in your life. I'll do what I can to help you come along. Father, I pray that you just burden our hearts. Give me a greater burden, Lord, to be a help to others. To model, to mentor, to help mature people, to move them closer to God. Oh, God, speak to us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand for a moment tonight? If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Would you come?